Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 137 for Monday, April 19th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is the ever-audible and laudable Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> Hello, sir. And if you want to know more about audio setups, specifically the kind of setups that Johnny and I use for uh, streaming, podcasting, doing YouTube recording, we just spent a little bit of time talking about that on the render distance. You can get that extended version of the podcast at patreon.com slash the spun chunks, become a member, get access to the discord and get access to roughly 30 minutes of extra audio every single week. Sometimes it's even more than that. Yeah, we uh, ramble. We ramble a lot. Yeah, a <laughs> li- li- little bit. Turns out we talk for a living. So, hey, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, this is supposed to be our chunk mail dispenser week on the show. But as some of you might realize, there's an awful lot of news to get through. So I think we're going to focus on the news this week uh, with the uncertainty of whether or not we'll get a snapshot this week. It might be best to push the chunk mail dispenser feature. That's another thing that's been unlocked with Patreon. Thanks to you folks uh, until next week. Yes, that sounds like a plan because who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, before we get into all of that, and there may be a little bit of our usual quick login that is affected by some of this but uh, before we get into the news what have you been up to in minecraft this week so i have had uh quite a bit of luck uh on the sigil the last few weeks i have been able to execute builds basically one per stream which is strange like i i've had the one per weekend happen recently uh but one per stream is is surprising uh so this weekend i focused on the east side of the river uh, that goes through the medieval town that I've been building for the last few weeks uh, on the Citadel. And uh, I took the time to like do some riverscaping. Uh, it's time consuming. Uh, it's not the best, um, I guess, a gameplay experience in that the elytra and swimming mechanics for me flip-flop too often and i end up doing this floaty jump thing in the water Mm -hmm. Uh, oh man like of all the bugs that i hope they address you know i I feel like that this last weekend really illustrated that but all that aside uh i really feel like the riverbank is now uh more refined it's got a path it's got stairs it's got multiple ways to get up and down Uh, i was able to throw in a build on the riverbank that kind of helps change the outside view coming into the river it pokes out past the tower uh it was a unique shape to the roof which is really challenging to build it's asymmetrical so it's it's got uh it's got a longer gable on one side and a shorter gable on the other or sorry i shouldn't say longer a different angle so like one's like i will say like a 30 degree angle and the other one's more like a 50 like it's it's got a real change to it um and then uh i was able to uh, also add in a cooper uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, and this was news to me, uh, a couple of people in my chat were kind enough to explain to me what a cooper was, and that's someone that builds or repairs containers like barrels and crates and troughs and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, what a great idea for a Minecraft shop, considering we have crates, or, or not crates, but we have uh, chests and barrels and things that we can now decorate the shop with. So I did that, uh, and I also... Um, took time to finish off this winding road that goes down to uh, the river gate. So this part of the town is really starting to feel populated. It has a skyline now. Like when you see the town coming in from the north, approaching the south, uh, you'll see all the different roof peaks and it's really starting to feel good. Like it's taken a long time to get here, but every time I add a building, it just starts to feel more full. Yeah, and it's and it's looking fantastic. I I like the the waterscaping you've done. I th- I think it's it's nice to just change things up so you don't just have 
riverbanks everywhere, you know, so you don't have dirt going down or grass going down to the river on all sides and actually having like a kind of wharf area or at least somewhere that you can chuck in a water mill and there's evidence that people have either built around the river or diverted the river for their own purposes, I think really adds a lot of character. And it's something that I always talk about and I would love to do more of in Minecraft is diverting rivers and making rivers a little bit more dynamic. And there are ways you can do that without having to change the the height of them, the elevation that they come from. And I think just starting to shape one around the town like that is is super cool looking. And it, if nothing else, it lends some areas where you can imagine people in the town would go walking if they want to have like a nice stroll by the waterfront or something like that. Something that I think you, you have some experience of in your own life. So uh, yeah, something that feels important to a build like this as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the thing that I'm enjoying so much now about uh the 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 town is as much time as you spend going up and down scaffolding to build these things uh once you're done i now have like staircases and multiple entrances and exits to get in various different ways so if i want to run from where all my shulkers are to where i'm building which is not a far distance i can take a different route almost every time i go Mm-hmm. And it's it's a cool feeling to not have to climb up scaffolding or, or fly with rockets to do all that kind of stuff. I've even gone, gone so far as to add a secret door under the bridge that goes into an underground tunnel that comes out the basement of the the inn and the pub. Like you're, So you're kind of imagine like, you know, seedy, like under the bridge exchanges of barrels that aren't supposed to go through, not customs, but like are not supposed to come into the town, you know, seen by everybody. And uh, I just like the fact that there's like a half dozen different ways to go to different places and I'll, I'll still end up in the in the same, you know, location or or get up on the wall. There's I think there's three or four different ways to get up on the wall currently, which is which is really fun. Just in this area, just in this in the screenshots. Uh I'm it's funny we were talking about this uh in the pre-show, but I I'm trying to share more screenshots and I just don't have them. So, I'll try to share them in the Discord later uh because they're too powerful for for Discord apparently. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, you can have a pretty awesome game of Cluedo already with the amount of secret passages and stuff around the town this is the kind of thing that i expect prompts people to use these as you know pvp arenas and stuff like that you've got a town but there are so many different ways around it that you can almost use it like a counter-strike map and have ways to flank people and stuff like that but Mm. if if nothing else you can discover that it was mr cooper under the bridge with the barrel um (laughs) right my week has mostly been uh taken up by doing stuff over at the museum because i figure i should probably uh, put the pedal to the metal and get some of this started. So I've been uh, trying to create a few more basic corridor designs and stuff that I can reproduce at different areas in the museum for a bit of, I guess, aesthetic similarity and and just kind of consistency throughout the structure. And I'm planning on reproducing some of these designs and varying them here and there and including exhibits in the walls as you walk around so for now i have these recessed booths that just have plants in and stuff that makes the the space feel a little bit more lighter and area and i've got some paintings up in some of these recesses although the absence of odd number wide paintings really makes itself felt when you get into decorating larger areas like this because as soon as you want to build an archway that's just like a you know a a three by three kind of area that you can put a painting in suddenly you realize every painting is one by two wide or two by two or it's four by four and there aren't really any three by three paintings in the game and so Mm. i tend to get a little bit frustrated designing spaces like that when it would just be a perfect place for a piece of art that would just be like in a frame on the wall as you're walking around a, a building like that but then 
yeah, there's there's no room for it. So I've been finding places for those here and there, but I find myself having a perfect space for the exhibits that I've put together already, but then with a gap between them and the next room that didn't really feel like I just wanted to have another gallery in there and have the entire thing be, you walk through a door, you're immediately in the next exhibit. Having some transitional spaces is what I'm working on right now and bringing the entire thing together as a structure and hopefully that's coming across. I think it's working out pretty well so far. And I don't have many screenshots to share because a lot of them are interiors. A lot of them are only half complete because I don't know what's going in the spaces beyond them. But it's uh, it's coming together pretty well already. I find that's one of the hardest things about designing stuff in Minecraft is trying to find a good design for those transitional spaces. And also remember to leave yourself enough room. Yeah, because you're you you think like oh yeah I'll just leave a a small space or a small hallway here and then when you go to like want to make it look unique and you're like it's only three by three like I there's not much you can do with meter long blocks you know like mm -hmm. you, just, you get so I find that spacing that kind of stuff out that was something I remember learning in the modern city was like making walls two blocks thick which seems preposterous but it just gives you so much more flexibility when you want one space to look different than another. Yeah, and in this case I. I have a long way to go with with a lot of this, but I'm I'm learning things all the time. Like I was designing some of these live on Twitch, just kind of letting chat fill in a couple of the the gaps in my knowledge and and suggest a couple of things. And somebody mentioned being able to use walls again because they are like differently shaped depending on which blocks they connect to now. And so if I wanted mm -hmm. some thinner thinner pillars to line the outside of these recesses, I could start adding stuff like that in and. Sometimes advice like that is invaluable because it it just, you know, gives you a, an extra hint towards something that would look really good in that area. So I've started using bits and pieces like that. Then th those are things that I can include as sub block details and I can build panels of a wall that even if I have like only one block or two blocks space, I can create a little bit of depth that way. But it's still it's still a learning experience, and uh, at this point feels a bit like a, a race against time, because um, yeah, yeah, I, I have a feeling that this this world is coming to a close fairly soon, which is something that we're gonna talk about a little later. the The other thing I've been doing there's a new Minecraft Bedrock Edition beta out, which we'll mention in the news read, but I've been taking Minecraft RTX into the Bedrock beta to have a look at the new cave generation now that. Uh, caverns and stuff are starting to be added like we've seen in previous java snapshots wow. and i've got some i've got some pretty fun screenshots to share in this week's show notes of some of the stuff i found it's it's pretty epic i'm finding that rtx works a lot better on the surface because of natural daylight playing into things and the only thing that can really cast a lot of light around is either artificial light sources that you brought with you like sea lanterns which i don't know how easy they are to get in the average survival world but then also lava sources being present in so many caves gives a really nice atmosphere to it and we know lava is one of those things that can just throw light all over the place so i've mm -hmm. been using that to light a couple of these screenshots to give a better idea of uh, exactly what Bedrock Edition caves can look like in RTX, and it's it's pretty cool looking. So, and that's the thing that you got to remember too. And I think you mentioned this on the podcast previously: is that you know lava is one of those uh, light sources that if you place it high enough, you're going to get it to throw light level fifteen every single time it goes down a block in in like a lava waterfall. And so you're going to be able to light up a lot more than using torches or sea lanterns or or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So. Um... 
I think what people are probably waiting for us to do is move on to the news. Uh, are we are we ready? <laughs> are we ready to talk about this? Yep, sounds like a plan to me. Okay, so this week a Caves and Cliffs announcement appeared on Minecraft.net with important news about Minecraft's next update. The Caves and Cliffs update it announced has been split into two parts. The first part will be releasing in summer as planned, the second is going to arrive around the winter holiday season. And I have heard people mention that this kind of sounds weird to people in the southern hemisphere, but obviously we're, we're using Mojang's terminology for the rest of this, so apologies to folks for whom those are reversed. Um, the accompanying Caves and Cliffs FAQ on this Minecraft.net blog post, uh, or at help.minecraft.net, clarifies that Caves and Cliffs Part 1 is going to be released as version 1.17, and Part 2 is going to be 1.18. So we'll have to start using those version numbers a little bit if that helps clarify things for people. The announcement includes a video in which Agnes Larson, whom you may know as Lady Agnes, and Henrik Niburg, Mr. Henrik, discuss the reasons for the split and outline what's going to appear in each part of the update. And to summarize why this has happened, the decision was prompted by the technical complexity of the update, Mojang's commitment to providing high quality updates for players, and the overall health and well-being of the Minecraft team. Making changes to world height and adding cave biomes has been a huge technical challenge for the team. Ensuring quality and consistent performance for an update this big is an additional challenge, and perhaps most importantly the team wants to avoid crunch long periods of overtime, and the pandemic is still an obstruction to their workflow which is normally much more collaborative. So all these things have led to them deciding to delay the world generation part of the update until later. Part 1 of the Caves and Cliffs update, 1.17, will keep terrain generation similar to 1.16 and earlier versions, and will focus on implementing blocks and mobs which we've already seen in the snapshots. So copper ore and amethyst geodes will be present in worlds, along with goats, axolotls, and the glow squid. Lush and dripstone caves will not appear naturally yet, but there will be ways to acquire lush and dripstone cave blocks through villagers and the wandering trader, for example. Deep Slate and Tuff are still going to generate below Y16 along with Deep Slate Ore as a kind of prelude to the larger caverns, but you won't have any caverns below Y0 in the summer update at all. Part 2 in winter, uh, 1.18, is going to focus on the changes to terrain generation. This is when changes to world height will take effect along with new cave carvers, aquifers and noise caves. There will be changes to ore distribution at different heights, that'll all be implemented along with the new generation. And cave biomes, including lush caves, dripstone caves and the deep dark, presumably at that point also the warden. We can now expect development snapshots to focus on the forthcoming summer release, and for new cave generation to be absent from those snapshots. Players who still want to play with the new generation can use a data pack which toggles on the new caves, but will not be compatible with the summer update when it arrives. Those worlds should still be compatible with the holiday update, or 1.18, when that arrives later. There is one thing that I will have to add to the show notes manually because we have omitted that, and that is the announcement that archaeology as a feature is now going to be delayed until an update beyond 1.18. So it's not going to be in either of these updates for Caves and Cliffs. And the reason for that was just that archaeology seemed like a feature that they could spend more time developing in order to make it into a larger system that's going to be bigger and better and will have more of an effect on Minecraft gameplay versus rushing it out along with all of these other features that they're having to take their time developing. 
Speaking of those Minecraft snapshots, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W15A came out last week. Uh, to quote the blog post from Minecraft.net, the riskier and technical more complex world generation changes for caves and cliffs update will be shipped in later uh, times and have been switched off in this snapshot. World height has been switched back to 116 levels. Noise caves and aquifers have been switched off. Cave and ravine carvers can or have been re returned to their old settings. Crack carvers have been switched off. Ore distribution has been returned to 1.16 setup. Copper now generates between the bottom of the world and a height of 192, being most common around height 96. Tough now generates in blobs between 0 and 16. World created in snapshot 21W05B or earlier can now be opened in the new snapshots and worlds created any time between versions 21W06A and 21W14A can no longer be opened in new snapshots. Features in snapshot 21W15A include that goats will ram anything that moves and also armor stands. Changes in 21W15A include a crinkly, crunchy sound that now plays when bone meal is used. Some blocks in the building blocks tab in the creative menu have been reordered. Goats will avoid walking on powdered snow. Creepers don't dare mess with goats. The main menu background has been updated. The textures of raw ore items have been tweaked. Just like ore materials, you can now craft raw ore into raw ore blocks in order to save inventory space. All ores have been reordered to be in the same location in the creative inventory and compact forms of raw and refined underground materials have been reordered. Technical changes in 21W15A include that they've added the marker entity, added the slash debug function, selector and NBT chat components can now configure separators between elements and servers can now customize a message to display when prompting players about custom resource packs. Along with the snapshot this week, we also got a Bedrock Edition beta, 1.16.230.56 arrived on April 15. There is a link to that in the show notes at feedback.minecraft.net. Uh, in this week's beta, they are introducing new cave generation along with improved ore generation and mine shafts for the Caves and Cliffs update also fixing some important stability bugs. You can still test out the exciting new Caves and Cliffs features by enabling the Caves and Cliffs experimental toggle on your worlds. Those features include improved visibility when swimming in underwater caves, ore generation changes to match the new world height and to add more strategy to mining, introducing noise-based generation caves that enable caves of more varied size and shapes, adding local water levels to caves, allowing each cave to have its own water level, and adapting mineshafts to fit into large caves. Mineshaft corridors can now be attached to the ceiling via chains or to the floor via wood columns. There are also various bug fixes related to game crashes. A few other things we've included in the show notes this week include the development of the raw ore texture and the raw ore block textures that Jappa has been sharing on Twitter the entire time after getting some feedback from the community about those textures, making subtle tweaks and improvements that we might see in a snapshot this week if we get it, but either way we'll see in a snapshot subsequently. So how do you feel about the new or raw or textures. Uh, I think we might as well talk about this kind of stuff right at the top because obviously I think the main discussion this week is going to be about the, the Caves and Cliffs split and yes. uh, other snapshot stuff. 
Yeah, so we're saving the juiciest stuff for towards the end of the show. Um, so raw ore, textures, and the raw ore blocks. I mean, I'm fine with the textures. I was fine with them before. I don't see myself really worrying too much about the texture of the individual sprites themselves. And they've been changed to have a more uniform shape and be look look a little bit more like they are you know, rough ingots almost. They're ingots with like a little chunk on the side and then that refines into something that looks like a more solid bar of material when you smelt it. And at first I was unsure about the raw ore textures because I wasn't certain if that felt like a rolling back of the character each one individually had in favor of just a uniformity of shape. But, and, and I was also not sure about the accessibility of them given how many things have been changed in shape with the or blocks themselves in order to make them more accessible to people with colorblindness. But from what I've seen, what what I've seen on um, Jabba's Twitter and on a few other people who've been chiming in with this, a lot of people are fine with it as far as a a colorblindness thing goes. They still have enough contrast in the textures that they are recognizable from each other. There are some subtleties of shape that are recognizable from each other. And yeah, I I don't I don't really mind one way or the other how these items end up looking considering they are so new i don't have a great deal of attachment to them yet how do you feel about them i just find it really interesting to watch the process uh we've seen a number of iterations from different textures from joppa over the the years of doing the show but this particular one it was it was very clear to see the design process like i could look at those as an artist and go i think i see where he's going with these and i can see he went from just let's just, just try to design what a raw ore might look like to, hmm, maybe we should have this be clear that they're all raw ores and raw ores should have a specific shape design language mm-hmm. to then adjusting them farther to have better colors, higher contrast and better silhouettes in that they have each a unique silhouette, but they all have a same kind of design pattern with large chunk with a small chunk to the bottom right. And I mean, even like, I think that he nailed it. Like I, it's, you know, again, I don't care a great deal about what the textures look like, but uh, I, I feel like there's enough thought and throughput that I can see the design process. And it's it's just really cool to to see it come together. I think for what it's worth, I might've liked the the raw gold or texture better, but again, like, when am I going to use it? Like it does, it does, it's not of any great consequence. Um, but something that you'd mentioned, I think before in terms of the color and people are questioning the color of the raw iron and you were talking about how it really does mimic the kind of um, salmon-y color that you get, I mean, in a very subtle way uh, from iron in an ore block like it's not silver it's it's like kind of like a creamy you know salmon color uh i also think and i see now uh with the new iron ore texture that was uh, put out recently the shape the elongated shape with the points on each end is is apparent also in the raw ore sprite for the item uh, which i think again helps it be associated with the block it comes from uh and uh in the same way that uh, copper d- does the the same thing. Um, the only thing, and this is akin to other things that I think you're going to say about the block forms of these of these uh, raw ores, is that I do find that the raw copper item to me looks like melted bubblegum ice cream, which I can't get out of my head. <laughs> Everyone, like <I> just, I'm. <laughs> everybody's been comparing these to food, and poor mm. poor Jasper, because yeah, I I think the the team in general has had a lot of. A lot of jokes uh, made at the expense of these newer items and blocks. Um, and, I mean, everybody's just hungry, I feel like, whether hungry for the update or, or hungry just for, for food in general. But um, 
Yeah, having looked at the the newest screenshot of these, the shapes have been varied up a little bit more to have a slightly more unique silhouette than the last ones I saw. So yeah, I, I think even these are an improvement. I think it's nice to see them looking sort of like minerals in that mm -hmm. sense, and and I think they're good. The the ore blocks are obviously, and this is going to be so difficult to talk about because they are raw iron, raw copper, and raw gold blocks, but they are not ore blocks. But I'm calling them ore blocks because I'm used to referring to the things that come out of ore blocks as ore. There's a lot. There's a lot, guys. It's a tongue twister the entire time. But the raw iron block uh, and the raw copper block have been compared a lot to beans <laughs> and the raw gold block now that it's been changed around a little bit is kind of like a popcorn or peanut brittle kind of thing and i i wrote all manner of jokes about that in the show notes but those jokes aside i can honestly see them being used for a variety of things i think the raw iron block makes for a pretty good cobblestone alternative if you want to use a slightly more expensive block in your builds you can imagine working that into a sort of medieval road it also as uh, Jasper's latest image indicates it kind of ties into some of the lighter brown color palette that we get from things like mushroom blocks like the new dripstone blocks and dirt and there's a few other things that it can start to uh, dither into and create a um, a nice kind of color palette for. Likewise the copper ore block uh, or the, the raw copper block, sorry, looks a lot to me like the scales of a dragon or a fish. It's kind of got that element of the um the kind of patina to the copper it's got like you know there's turquoisey elements showing through whilst also still being largely orange and that goes well with a lot of the brick palette and kind of adds a little bit of color into those as well alongside granite and i used to remember when 114 was uh being worked on and the textures were being changed up a little bit and i thought granite looked like beans back then i feel like mm -hmm. that has been taken over by these two blocks the mantle has been passed on um but then the the raw gold block i imagine people using in a kind of scrooge mcduck's vault kind of setting you know it can look like piles of gold coins or something like that in block form and it goes really well with uh a lot of the uh, the existing gold palette you look at stuff like honeycomb blocks and the image actually has it alongside the full gold block the smelted gold block and i think that that looks really nice now it's got a, a good amount of harmony with blocks of that palette so yeah i'm i'm into them i i like the designs of the blocks in general i think all joking aside people are going to get some fun uses out of these they're a lot rougher than the metallic blocks that we've looked at before but i'm also now thinking about the rtx side of things and how nice it is to have more natively metallic blocks that you can add that metallic element to and reflections to to play around with and create like a rougher surface texture than something like an iron block which right now is highly reflective in the kind of bars of material that appear in the texture so i think there's a, a lot of potential for these to be used creatively in future remind me what's the acronym for like the bump mapping in texture is it p pdr p it's p it's pbr it's pvr um, pb with a with a oh, b. b i had it right yeah. okay yeah um i think it's like physically based rendering is the right the term for it yeah right uh yeah i mean i can see because uh, that's something that i found too when watching rtx videos is like wow that 
iron is really shiny. I don't know if I'd want it that shiny. And to have something that is iron, but also not as shiny would be a nice thing to probably have for, you know, how reflective the light is going to be or what direction the light's going to bounce around in. That kind of stuff is really cool. It's funny that you mentioned Color Harmony because there was a post from Japa. Again, we'll have that linked in the show notes uh, where they were reducing the brightness or saturation of the raw gold ore block uh, to better match the refined gold block uh, in the environment. And the, the statement was basically like, you know, when it comes to these refined blocks, we do try to dumb them down uh, or dim them down a bit so they work a little bit better with the natural world. And now this is a devil's advocate argument because, I, again, I think these are all fine. I don't have any real issue with them. But when you look at copper in with granite and brick and you look at uh, the iron ore block, raw iron ore block, uh, in with the other brown blocks. They're close, but they're not quite. And in terms of taking down the color harmony, like if they're going to take the time to mute them a bit so that they work better in the environment, like you are so close to having copper work almost like not identical, but very well with with brick. And it's just for me, it's just a little off. I don't mind the green in it. I, I, it's just that the orange has got a funnier, pinkier hue than say the more um, maroon or brick color that that's going on. And it's, it's, they're, they're so close to having that good color harmony, which I do feel that the raw gold or block does. Uh, I kind of wonder if they could use just a little kick in that direction to have them work, um, better. So like, you know, iron is going to work better with dripstone and mushroom and dirt, and maybe copper could work better with granite and terracotta and brick, like the red brick. Uh, and then of course, gold is, is going to be in there with honeycombs. Also, um, I think bee hives, I, I, you have, you, you're going to be more in, in, in step with Hermitcraft than I am, but I feel like Etho has used beehives, honeycomb and jungle wood to create like an epic transition between gold and, and brown. Yeah, the, the naturally spawned bee nests are really good as, 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 a, as a gradient between a more yellow wood and a more of a kind of pinky jungle wood kind of thing, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's there's some really interesting building opportunities. You see Gemini Tay doing similar stuff as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I've seen people mention online is that the raw gold block looks so similar to glowstone that they almost expect it to be a light source block now <laughs> which is mm. quite funny really it, look, it looks so similar to glowstone or shroom light or any of the kind of um you know the the textures that we've had added recently as light source blocks that it kind of bears some similarity to those but could potentially be a an interesting way to imagine there being light sources around whilst also concealing light in other ways you could you could use it as a, a pseudo light source in that sense so yeah I've, I've done that before with blocks like if you if you lit this uh raw gold ore block from below like from a light source you couldn't see and just make it really bright in the room it would almost feel like it was a light um the only thing that i find is going to be challenging about working with this block is that it's less so now but when it first came out it definitely had like a direction like it felt like a vertical direction if you stack them all on top of each other in like a three by one tower uh it, it felt like it flowed up or on the ground it, lo- it felt like it flowed in a specific direction so depending on which way you're laying the block um it, it might be challenging to work with but that's a like a nitpicky thing yeah um so there's a couple of other things i want to pick out from this snapshot change log and back in the day it would not be such big news that bone meal now has a sound effect <laughs> but for me i 
like the, I feel like this update and the and the forthcoming stuff in part two of Caves and Cliffs has really changed that because now if it has a sound effect, it may be detectable via skulk sensor. And so I'm imagining now that Bone Meal makes a distinctive sound, if they add a way to detect that via skulk sensor, you can have a crop farm which you bone meal or a flower farm which you bone meal but then once the skulk sensor picks up the sound it could automatically flush the farm and obviously there are other ways of doing this but there there could be you know consequences for bone mealing something that like you know it could activate a certain trap or whatever you know <laughs> like the, there are potentially ways that it could be used and so i think any opportunity to add a sound effect to the game if it makes sense which this one absolutely does you are having an effect on the world around you and it creates a a sound effect when you do i think it's a really interesting opportunity now to add interaction with a skulk sensor than previously where it's just nice that that thing has a sound effect for immersion but has no other qualities to really recommend about it so i think yeah th this update has added new opportunities for stuff like that to be exciting again so keep an eye out for bone meal farms that use skulk sensors i think that's going to be a fun opportunity it reminds me of when they changed the farming noises like planting and harvesting and stuff it's yeah. such a small thing but it adds so much e even back in the day i remember witches didn't make noise but as soon as you had that witch cackle in the game, suddenly it has tons of character to it again. And I think there's there's a lot to be said for adding uh, sound effects for things which have otherwise been silent for this long. Um, the goat ramming behavior is also pretty fun. Uh, I found that when I was just testing it and flying around in, in snapshots, they don't do it often enough that it becomes annoying. They do it just enough that it becomes characteristic. And I, I expect there's been a bit of playtesting to find a good balance between those because you don't want to be rammed by every goat that you walk across a mountain in front of. But I think it's fun that you occasionally see them playing around in the background while you're doing something else. And that if a chicken happens to walk nearby, they will attempt to ram a chicken and then you get this and the thing flies, you know, seven blocks. <laughs> I think it's, it's a really fun way of doing it. And also adds into the fact that goats themselves can jump really high and I've seen a few people joking around about giving goats jump boost and just playing with that. So I have to do that next time I'm in a snapshot. But I um, I think the goat thing, it might limit their use in the most obvious example, which is creeper farms, if they don't headbutt stuff constantly. And so I'm wondering if maybe in the near future, because these things can be adjusted behind the scenes, I believe there is a command you can run or something you can adjust about the attributes of goats that makes them... A little bit more keen to ram stuff and they do it more frequently i wonder if there's like a johnny vindicator name tag style easter egg that you can apply to goats to make them the angry goats you know and and have them apply to you know a creeper farm or something like that because it's not quite fast enough for them to headbutt every creeper off a ledge as it spawns so it makes for a fun design but you're still going to find creeper pathfinding or water flushing is still going to be a faster method of churning through stuff and of course goats have not been implemented just so we can farm creepers better but i can see people taking more advantage of it if it's a mechanic that they have some control over especially with the note of them ramming armor stands as well like that has redstone contraption written all over it mm -hmm. i don't know what for i i leave it to much you know smarter people than me to figure that out but i yeah it does, it does sound interesting and, and i agree that i, I actually uh, haven't witnessed them in game but i did watch a couple of videos and they were so slow that at least two of the videos i watched said this mechanic isn't in the game yet like it's just it's not here it's not happening i'm not seeing it and and i think that um 
that might indicate to me that it needs to be either upped in frequency or there needs to be a difference between goat ramming and goat ramming passive stuff and goat ramming uh, aggressive stuff like mobs and creepers. Yeah. Yeah, there could be a few things to uh, to scale up or down, as the, the mm-hmm. case may be. Um, before we move on to chunk mail, we have a bit of chunk mail this week regardless, uh, I do want to share a little bit of stuff about the uh, Bedrock beta and with regards to how it looks in, in RTX, because that's kind of where I spend a lot of my time in Bedrock Edition. And even though right now they've they've improved the world generation, they've got you know, the cavernous caves down there, noise cave-based generation has been introduced. They still don't have terrain generation working that way. So we're still on a few snapshots ago in Java Edition when the caves didn't have deep slate yet. They were all just stone caves. There are patches of deep slate still, but they haven't been implemented so that the entire cavern layer below Y0 is deep slate. And once again, this is all behind the Caves and Cliffs toggle if you load up the beta edition of Bedrock, so Bedrock isn't getting these updates any earlier than Java is. The release schedule should match up exactly the same. But this is a really interesting opportunity to explore how some of these caves are going to look. And let me try and find, so I can share it with our Discord live audience, we have uh, a couple of screenshots which i'll put in the show notes as well of some of these caves with rtx and just the opportunities for lighting and like some elements of the environment really kind of telling a story or creating an atmosphere increase tenfold when you have a lava source in a well at the bottom of a cave and you're looking down on it from a hundred blocks up you know and you can see the uh the ground below glowing the the other really interesting thing is that quite by accident, I believe, because they haven't quite refined how these new caves are going to interact with mountainous terrain yet, it is entirely possible for a cave to generate in one of the new mountain biomes, and the game still fills it with snow and ice blocks from the upper layers of mountain generation, because it doesn't know what to do with that terrain yet. And so it's generated like a floor of ice and snow, in a cave environment where there is a stone roof above it and you wouldn't think that snow would normally be able to get down there. So I have a couple of screenshots of those and those look spectacular. People have wanted ice caves as a variant of terrain generation and were it not for the fact that these are an accident and they are not necessarily on the slate for inclusion in the Caves and Cliffs update, I would want a biome to look like this. I think this looks really cool. Yeah, that ice cave shot is spectacular. The contrast with the the glowing lava coming in from the side and the lava would create steam from the water sources and the steam would then condense into snow in the cold environment. Like, I I feel like that's possible. I don't think it's a stretch even with a stone roof. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it really adds something else. And if I was to, you know, see or want an ice cave in, in Minecraft, that's really close to what I would anticipate the kind of first draft to look like. And then say Mojang would come in and do their their lush cave treatment where they would have, you know, unique, you know, plants or or rock features or blocks or something that would also generate in the in these ice caves. But yeah, icicles that, that kind of look yeah. like the, the dripstone stuff. Dripstone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, Looks there's, fantastic. There's certainly scope for that to be added in a future update. And I think it's important to stress, we'll 
kind of cover this again later but it's important to stress that the reason that they have split up the release of caves and cliffs is not so they can then add more features it's so they have more time to develop the features that they've already announced so we're not necessarily going to be seeing ice caves like this unless they decide hey this is a happy accident that maybe we'll leave in the game until we have something better but I mm. think there's uh, there's potentially room for stuff like this to look spectacular. If nothing else, players can now go out and use this as inspiration and build their own ice cave environments once the full update arrives uh, towards the end of the year. But I, I thought that was worth sharing because I thought that was a, a really neat quirk of the Bedrock beta this week. Moving on into Chunk Mail. If you'd like to email the show, you can send that along to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address as it allows us to sort out the different messages that we get and prep them for reading on the show. This first email comes from Timo, the Dripstone Bricks and Storage Solutions. Hi, Johnny and Joel. Like everyone, I'm extremely excited for Caves and Cliffs, and I have a couple of hopes for the update and was wondering what you think of them. As someone who lives in the UK, I've seen a lot of castles and I used to drive past one every day on my way to work, but I've always been put off by building castles in Minecraft because the stone colors in Minecraft have never been right to me. Most castles I've seen in the UK are built from sandstone or limestone. Sandstone in Minecraft is far too bright and stone bricks are just gray. I think dripstone has a creamy brown color and texture that is much more realistic and I would love to see brick variants so I can finally build the castle of my dreams. Also, I had an idea for a storage solution. Just like we've gotten some new smelting and crafting blocks for specific uses, why not more storage blocks? I was thinking we could have storage blocks with more slots, but limited to only hold certain items, or new storage blocks that could hold everything, but double stack sizes on certain items, even current items that are non-stackable. As an example, barrels could be used for water-related items, trap chests for redstone, and a minecart mine chest excuse me, for ores and stones. More storage blocks would also be great for decorating. Imagine a treasure chest that you can only be that can only be found in generated structures and crates for storing food and even a wef, weapon stand to go next to your armor stand. Thanks to you both for such an amazing podcast. I have to go now and do my daily chess monster clear out. Timo. Uh I th both of those are fantastic ideas actually. I uh in looking at the way that Jappa was uh putting in dripstone and uh raw iron ore blocks in uh the twitter post that, that they had today uh i i feel like dripstone bricks would be an excellent kind of middle ground to work with uh that kind of stuff um but this actually echoes a thought that i had but didn't get into uh, with the notes for last week which was an update to minecarts that we were tossing around that would allow them to hold certain items maybe just ores or raw ores, and then they could display that in the model. And maybe even if they had stone types as well. Now, this could be really fun for RP builds where like you actually want to run, like have a minecart going on a track and building, you know, taking your stuff up to a certain place or whatever. Or it could just have a, a lot of function for technical builders if these carts could have more of a specific item or if they were somehow predetermined to only filter out certain items as well. Um, minecarts would have to be more predictable, like they, how they connect to one another, if they can connect to one another. Furnace minecarts would probably have to have an update. Uh, but I just think that it would be really, really cool to see a minecart go past you as you're in your mine that's either full of stone or full of gold ore or full of uh, raw, you know, or um, 
iron ore or whatever it is that they, you know, how they would ever implement it. Uh, have you thought about this kind of a thing for, for storage solutions for Minecraft? Yeah, I I kind of, I like the minecart idea, first of all. And as we know, they would, they've expressed a hope, uh, the Mojang team has expressed hope of revisiting minecarts and, and changing some stuff up about them in future. So yeah, I, I would love there to be almost cartoon style you know how in minecraft dungeons there are those redstone minecarts that go past in the redstone mines level and occasionally mm -hmm. kind of trip you up as you're you're going through there I, I can imagine the same thing for any raw material that you can imagine mining to begin with which in the overworld is actually relatively few so you're thinking you know stone cobblestone granite diorite andesite i guess now tough and uh deep slate and some of those other things are going to come into play but and then the raw ores in whatever form you have them could go in there as well and i think that'd lend a really nice interesting kind of um authenticity to the experience of using minecarts being able to stack stack them high with stuff um rather than just having a chest in a minecart that kind of stores everything which is a good catch-all solution but like you said it it's um not necessarily as valuable for roleplay and if you can put more stuff in it then i feel like it's got a certain aesthetic appeal as well as a, a practical one the part of this I am most drawn to, much as, again, as being somebody from the UK, I understand your your castle gripes. I've just kind of come to terms with the fact that stone brick and sandstone and, and those kind of materials are most of what we have to offer. The idea I really like from this is the idea of storage that holds non-stackable items. And if you think about what the non-stackable items are in Minecraft, it's tools, it's books... And then it's stuff like horse armor and saddles, right? And aside from that, there are a few outliers like Totems of Undying are one. Um, there's a couple of other bits and pieces. I really like the idea of having weapon racks for storage that can hold multiple swords, but still only take up the space of one or two blocks. Maybe the size of one of those, you know, a, a one by two, like a painting that you can hang on a wall, but it can hold you know 10 swords side by side and whether they rendered or not it'd be kind of a nice thing to have and you could use those for other tools like pickaxes and whatnot you could use them for crossbows i think right now aesthetically speaking we would love to hang all of our stuff on walls but the only solution for that is item frames and then you can only hold one item at a time aside from that with saddles and horse armor, they all seem like the kind of thing that you should be able to stack together. Like if you have a, a saddle that it's always going to be the same shape, you can imagine piling them up on some sort of hobby horse style thing, um, like a pommel horse kind of structure, and then just having a bunch of saddles available so you can just take one off at a time. But that saves inventory space for all of the, the chests that are going to be filled up with saddles that you've got from fishing. And because they're a unique item, you don't feel like throwing them away. So I think in the ongoing quest to improve inventory management, I think maybe something for unstackable items is going to be one of the next hurdles. Books is an easy one because even though we have bookshelves in Minecraft already, we create book storage for ourselves around the world all the time. Everybody's familiar with what a bookshelf is. So I think those are a fairly practical way of storing something like books. Um, with the other stuff, it's going to require a little bit more of dipping into the medieval feel that Minecraft kind of has, but I expect there could be some solutions for non-stackable items in future, at least for storage. Maybe not in the player's inventory, but out in the world, I think there's potential for it. I like the idea of having a, a block that has a very specific use. Like, it'll give you more storage, but 
the sacrifice is that you can only store one thing in it. Like, yeah. this thing is meant to hold cobblestone. It'll hold a lot of cobblestone, but you can't put anything else in it. I like the idea of that for storage solutions for larger projects, for um, condensing things, you know, trying to get stuff out of your inventory, that kind of stuff. Um, the only thing I don't see happening is increased stacks. Uh, I think you end up with a graphic UI problem with something having mm -hmm. like stacking to 128. I don't know if you can display that and still be able to see what it is. Uh, and I don't see anything like weapons or armor stacking in your inventory for PvP reasons. It would be unbalanced. Yeah, you, you've seen mods that have, um, say for example, um, Applied Energistics, I think is the one that has the computer systems that you can store stuff in. And those will often just have stack sizes beyond 64. It kind of condenses everything that you've put into the system in one space and it can go to you know 1.4 k or something you know it starts to mm. display it in smaller numbers like that but i think there is still a programming hurdle potentially with things being higher than 64 because 64 is a maybe a convenient number for storing data and i think it you run into the same issues that you you have with increasing world height is that a lot of the code maybe has to be refactored to take into account that stack sizes can be increased in certain circumstances I feel like everything is now, it's not, you know, permanently coded that way, but it's coded that way out of convenience, and that involves changing a lot of stuff further down the line to allow for these edge cases like that. So, yeah, uh, know, knowing as little as I do about the coding process, I think that could potentially be the, the most far-fetched part of the email. But, yeah, I, I think the rest of it is spot on. I think there's, there's a, a chance for a lot of that stuff to come to future updates. The next email comes in from Charles R., the subject being automation in the Caves and Cliffs update. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I was listening to your conversation about iron farms in episode 136. I'm a very technical player. I'm currently building the same pumpkin and melon farm as the one on Cycraft in my single-player world. During Snapshots 20W14A, uh, possibly 21W14A, I'm not certain here, uh, I started up a new hardcore world. Uh, it only lasted a few days, but as I started to look for iron, I found that my old method of finding iron did not work as well, as iron generates differently in 1.17 compared to 1.16. Aha, so this is 21W14A. Uh, Feeling frustrated, I went back to the surface, and in about 20 minutes I had an iron farm up and running that produced 150 iron per hour. Do you think that more veteran players will be looking to automation instead of mining due to the strategy changes? Keep on automating, Charles. Now, Joel, I think you are uniquely placed to answer this question based on your experiences in the snapshot this week, because I caught some of your stream and you were having a lot of difficulty finding iron in the early days, weren't you? I really was. Uh, I did the uh, 21W15A snapshot this week with the Caves and Cliffs prototype data pack installed because the idea is that I'd like to do a single player uh, snapshot playthrough on Wednesdays and I wanted to use the Caves and Cliffs update because I'm not a biggest fan of the early game in Minecraft and repeating it over and over again and I wanted something unique so having the world height gen and the different ore generation and stuff was going to make it a different experience for me. Uh, it took me two hours and I found one piece of iron. Mm -hmm. Now one thing I didn't do was log in and immediately dig a staircase, right? So I didn't just come in and dig down. I found a village. I went through the village. It was a desert village. There was no iron in the desert village, although there were six iron golems. Um, there, I went around looking through caves. Uh, I went trying to, uh, I couldn't go down into an, uh, an aquifer because uh, I didn't have enough uh, early game, just, you know, gear to, to 
to swim and, and do the things that I needed to do to breathe underwater. Uh, I eventually did find one piece of iron. Uh, and there were a number of opportunities where I could have gone deeper into the world, but because of the cave generation, I really felt gated without even a shield. I had nothing else for armor, not even, I think I found one pair of leather pants at some point, but it was later on. Uh, so you really did not feel safe to go down into these big, deep places of the world because skeletons on hard mode will just hand your butt to you in these wide open, dark chasms where, you know, three or four of them could be spawning, right? And uh, I I managed to last a while. I don't remember when my first death was, but it was a good hour to an hour and a half. In, in, uh, and I had a shield at that point. I just was up against a couple of skeletons and they they managed to get the best of me. Um, but I can, I can feel it. I was very frustrated. It, it started to be, oh, this is an interesting search for iron to like, this is really kind of holding up my stream and my content here. Like I'm, I know I want to go down deeper. I feel like I've done enough things on the surface, but what's holding me up is I don't have armor to protect myself to go any farther and explore and enjoy the caves and cliffs, you know, data pack. Uh, so I could, I can very easily see technical players that are more interested in progress than they are in exploration or people that are interested in exploration being forced to just turn on an iron farm because it's like they just, they don't feel comfortable or that's just being a pain in the butt to find more iron. Uh, I know that they're pulling the iron down into the world to try and slow the player down. And I feel like that's kind of, that's good for maybe the bulk of the iron. I still feel like, uh, as we've mentioned before on the show, that higher altitude iron needs to be a little bit maybe more exposed so that it's not quite as difficult. Um, I think you need to reward the players for exploring caves. That's kind of what I took from it. Yeah. Um, did you consider making leather armor? I, I was breeding up cows but uh and this is my own you know probably guilty of wanting to look around and explore more than making leather armor i just didn't you know i i had i think maybe four cows bred up in the first couple hours and then eventually i had eight but like i did not get to the point where i was killing them and harvesting enough leather to make armor yeah because i'm wondering if for the casual survival player they're trying to reintroduce leather armor into the meta i've seen a few people joking online just like stuff i've seen shared on instagram meme posts and whatnot where people have said you know you can get iron armor before you get leather armor so there is no point to leather armor basically right and yeah so mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if maybe the instinct is we should be getting leather armor if we want to go caving and then caving is a rush through with leather armor and maybe a shield in order to get hold of that stuff but then as a more experienced player like charles who's written in we know that we can set up a, an iron farm you can go to a village trade up through a fletcher with emeralds get hold of an armorer maybe de-zombify somebody if you're lucky enough to find a snow plains igloo uh, in the early game and then you can get diamond armor for as cheap as one emerald per piece and it's all going to be pre-enchanted and you can grindstone off the enchants if you don't like them so there are lots of different ways around gearing up in the early game which can save players a lot of time but it maybe also rebalances finding iron for further down in the world or a slightly more intensive mining episode in order for you to get hold of your early iron in ways that don't involve iron farming or or trading through villager stuff i found that a lot of the time when i'm exploring these snapshots i end up getting lucky i find a ruined portal nearby that's got some gold armor in i maybe use that for a while you know mm -hmm. there, there are some mm -hmm. elements like that where I'm, I'm getting my first iron ingot from 
a ruined nether portal or a shipwreck chest or something instead of finding it through going caving. And then that maybe emboldens me to go caving once I have a shield and a couple of loose pieces of, you know, armor that I didn't craft myself. But yeah, I, I do think there are going to be maybe once the terrain generation is more final and we know that this is going to be how it is in the the winter update, the 118 update, we're going to see people really deciding what the best balance is, where the meta lies. And it's something we went into in our discussion last week about exactly how much effort people are going to put into each area of the game and how lucky people are going to have to get. It seems unlikely that you're going to have a bunch of iron from the surface before you even venture into a cave far enough to find mob spawns, which is perfectly possible in 116. Like, if you get lucky with a bit of surface cave generation in a plains biome, then you can find a decent vein of iron and have an iron chest plate before you've even seen a zombie, you know? I think it's mm-hmm. it's potentially them just trying to rebalance the game. Maybe the balance still needs redressing, and like we've said, maybe a bit more surface iron could be present, but I do think that maybe they're just trying to, like, like you said, slow people down a little bit and let the technical players shine through. If they've got an iron farm up and running in 20 minutes, then that, that feels like an achievement, and you can absolutely do that. I want to point out too that there's a couple of, of things that I'm realizing about my playthrough after hearing you mention a, a couple of things like trading with villagers. I feel like there's two things that maybe clouded my approach in in the snapshot. One, it was a stream, and as a content creator, I was look I was not thinking about things like trading with villagers because I didn't think it would be that exciting. You know, like I kind of wanted to explore and see the new stuff. Yeah, and so that might have been more pushing me towards walking around and just looking for iron rather than getting it in. Uh, the the more straightforward fashion. Uh, the other thing is that as someone that plays on a, a server that's four years old, like I can count the number of times that I've done early game Minecraft in the last four years on one hand. Yeah. And so I don't, I did not necessarily have all the knowledge with all of the changes, despite doing this show every week. <laughs> yeah. Where I was just like, oh yeah, I could have traded with a villager. I could have made a villager into a, a, a weaponsmith. But again, I'd have to have the iron in order to make the 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 profession blocks right so there's there's a couple of things that i would be hung up on there but but yeah like uh certainly could have tried to trade with a villager to get leather you know like that kind of stuff uh because uh, what's the block is it a barrel no what's the block uh, it's, for a, it's a it's a cauldron for a leather worker but cauldron, you do get you right. do get them spawning naturally in a lot of villages so yeah. there's there's options there desert villagers are not great there was a lot of bread <laughs> It solved my food problems right away. There was a lot of bread and there was a cow enclosure already. So that was perfect. But other than that, there was nothing. Cactuses Mm -hmm. and bread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not a very interesting people, those desert villagers. (laughs) (laughs) So let's uh, let's move on to our main discussion before we get too sidetracked by that. Let's talk about the Caves and Cliffs update split. 117 in summer, 118 in winter, and the cave generation and mountain generation basically anything that interacts with the world height being different cave biomes the warden that kind of stuff is going to be delayed until winter this year and i guess everything else beforehand now like as a player uh, I'll, I'll go into how i feel about my my kind of creative process and then a bit more about the community reaction that i've seen so far but as a player i hate to admit it but I have a hard time remembering which features are going to be in Caves and Cliffs Part 1. And my brain always goes copper, amethyst, glow squids. Is 
Is that it? What am I forgetting? It turns out I'm forgetting a litany of things. There is a list as long as my arm of stuff that's going to be in Caves and Cliffs Part 1 this summer. Things like bundles, for example. You know, we get glow lichen, powder snow, we get candles. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't thought about candles since they were added, but we're getting them. And even a lot of the blocks, like if you can get a lush cave biome block from a wandering trader, you can make your own lush cave biome in the meantime. But I'm finding that my brain is having a hard time conjuring those features because, like it or not, the features which have captured everyone's attention are all in part two. It's all the deeper caves, the taller mountains, underground biomes, the warden just being the spookiest new addition, and those are the features that we've been looking forward to seeing develop as the snapshots roll on, but now they've all been deferred until later this year. And while I understand perfectly the reasons for it, it's hard as a player of this game to not feel a sense of disappointment about that, but in a way that obviously has to, <laughs> we have to take into account the fact that the team is working their butts off and needs more time. Yeah, I think it's it is, it's hard when something that was coming and has been said, this is coming, is now being delayed and saying this is not coming until much, much later. And I, it's hard not to feel disappointed about that. And uh, for me, it's just, it, it means that, all right, well, a lot of the build ideas that I had that I was planning for this summer, I'm just going to have to wait. Like, there's no point in doing a giant, I'm not digging out a giant hole to make a dwarf kingdom. I'm going to wait until caves and cliffs come out later on in, with 118. Yeah. And those giant cheese caves are going to be available to me to explore. And, and I think that they'll all be better for it. Um, I, I also had to remind myself previous to uh, recording the episode, uh, and I want to give a shout out to Exumavoid, friend of the show, that uh, did a short video on uh, their second channel, uh, questions and answers about 117 and 118 Caves and Cliffs update. And, and Exumavoid went through and listed all of the stuff that they were sure was coming with the um, the update uh, by researching a bunch of different posts and looking at things that devs have said. So I, I trust X. I, I know that um, I didn't have time to double check everything that they posted in the video, but one thing is usually very well researched. And if he does get anything wrong, he corrects it in the next video. So, um, th but it feels very clear. Things like goats, axolotls, glow squid and related items, deep slate bricks and blocks are going to be in there uh, because as of the last snapshot, they're generating in blobs, you know, for that transition that yeah, was you, happening. You find them the same way that you find andesite, diorite, and so forth. Exactly. They're effectively like new decorative stone types for now. Exactly. And so they're there. They're just not going to be as abundant as they would be in the, the larger terrain generation. Uh, things like uh, lush caves, uh, dripstone blocks, and uh, what was the other thing that might be... Oh, we'll get to that in a second. So yeah, so lush caves and dripstone blocks, like that could be something that they add to villager trade. They could add it to wandering trader. Um, there might be some crafting involved. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to get those yet into the survival players worlds, but, um, it seems possible given what we know about like, you know, bone milling moss and like that kind of stuff. Um, I too have not thought about candles very much, but like those are made from blocks that are existing in 116. Like it's yeah. a new feature in 117, but the, the, the mats are already in the game. Um, things like copper ore are already generating and copper ore blocks, um, amethyst geodes are going to be generating in the 116 terrain. So that means you're going to get 
amethysts and smooth basalts. You're going to be able to craft tinted glass and the spyglass. You know, so there are a number of things that are going to be going to be in the game. The thing that I thought was interesting, and this is the big question mark that I, I can't seem to find an answer to, uh, and neither could X, was that the Skulk sensor has been shown in the snapshots. It was in creative. Um, but without the deep dark, it's not clear how players are going to be able to access the Skulk sensor. Bringing up again questions of wandering trader trade, villager trade, do you craft it? If you craft it, the speculation is that it might be crafted with ender pearls. But like, given how many ender pearls you can get from a very simple enderman farm, I, I see that being a little bit too accessible. Yeah, and it's difficult at this point for them to add anything but lock it behind creative because that just means that with the advent of custom crafting recipes a few updates ago people who want it are just going to make a custom crafting recipe for it and add it to survival based on what they think is balanced yeah so you know it, it's it's going to be difficult to decide how we get hold of these things and they have i believe clarified that some of this stuff how it's obtained in the summer update is potentially going to change by winter. So axolotls and the glow squid are currently spawning everywhere below a certain elevation in water sources. That might be refined to axolotls only spawning in lush caves once we actually have natural lush cave generation. But with the skulk sensor, we don't know. And it was omitted, or maybe not intentionally, but it was just kind of like not really clarified from all of the announcement and the blog posts that we've seen, the FAQ we've seen, and so forth. So there are, yeah, potentially a few features that are ready to ship, and what form they ship in is, uh, yeah, yet to be yet to be determined. Um, how have you felt about the community reaction to this? Because there was a lot of comments on the initial YouTube video. I've seen a lot of discourse on Twitter and Reddit and a few of the other places that I've seen. I'm not sure how many of those you've also seen, but... Um, you know, the comments on my own YouTube video even, a lot of the time people have been, of course, as they should be, incredibly sympathetic, largely supportive of this announcement and just happy to say, we can wait a little bit longer because this is going to be a really cool update. Uh, yeah, I mean, anecdotally, I've I've mostly heard positive things, but I think that's also a biased snapshot of my community and the people that I tend to talk to online. Are all... <laughs> we, we talk to the good ones. <laughs> yeah, well, I just kind of balanced, you know, people that understand that the people that are making Minecraft are people too and have families and loved ones and like and have lives and stuff. Um, I think that the only, I, I don't want to say negative, but the more um, expected response that I see is someone will usually start off with saying like, oh, I'm super bummed about the fact that this is delayed. But then they'll agree, like almost begrudgingly, like, but you know, I see that it's important and, you know, like I'm bummed, but I'm, that's okay. It's fine. Like, so don't, like, don't, don't at me. You know, like I, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I understand where people are coming from. And that's the closest I've seen to a negative response. But I don't dig into those areas of the internet. I just, I prefer to stay away from them. So I don't, I don't see that much. Um, but Knowing that there are some negative responses out there, I feel like those negative responses to what I feel is a very reasonable change in the release schedule is a highlight of the more prevalent player impatience that we've spoken about on the podcast before, whether it's gameplay styles, whether it's make easy changes to gameplay suggestions. I do feel like there's a, a rise in just impatience um, in, in some players that play Minecraft. Uh, and it's times like this that I, you do, you have to remind yourself just how many people play this game and, yeah. and how divisive 
for just no other reason than just statistically not everyone is going to agree that's possible um but uh yeah like i feel like any of those kind of um, we'll say re negative responses are coming from a place of impatience and even the impatience of saying before you have a chance to think about what you're saying you know yeah. like i bet the people that have said oh, i just want it now and like after researching more online, they may have changed their tune. You know, like I, it, I, I'm, I'd like to think of the like assume the best in people, and yeah. I, I feel like those those negative responses are hopefully changing their tune because really ultimately everyone wins. Yeah, and and these are also features which are going to be in the game theoretically forever, and a six month wait in the grand scheme of things is not going to mean much when this project that minecraft in general could potentially last decades into the future you know like we we're going to look back on this and laugh i think um and and to be fair most of us are, are you know fine with it now um i think for for their to their great credit uh, agnes and henrik did a fantastic job of making that video of communicating why the update has been a challenge and the reasons for the split i think they did fantastically well and it's difficult to talk about when you're having a hard time and you could tell from the way that the information was delivered that they weren't happy having to make those announcements but there wasn't really much else they could do and that this was going to be the best thing for the team and i think that's something mojang has done really well recently is yeah communicate that there are human beings behind this game that the team has remained small and that you know they they just need a little bit more time to work on some of this stuff for the sake of the quality of the game going forward. It makes a great deal of sense. We are still in a pandemic, which has affected a lot of people. They talked about their workflow being a collaborative process. And while the internet has made collaboration fairly easy for people, it they've gone from a workflow where they could just walk down the row of desks and, you know, touch somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, can you come and look at this? That now has to be done through you know online sharing of stuff and there's potentially more complications in that um and so collaboration gets a bunch of obstacles put in its way and so yeah there there are certain things which you know regardless of whether or not they could have been completed by summer would maybe have been a little bit further along if they'd been in their normal working environment um i also saw a really great exchange between Xylefian and kojo max um felix and cory uh who who are talking about leaving good code for the developers who would join the project in future and again like talking about the game potentially lasting decades into the future stewardship of this as a as a project and you know having quality control standards when it comes to like the way you're writing the code becomes way more important and things like that taking that amount of care over something the craftsmanship involved with it um you know, it's not going to be just a solution of hiring more people to all work on the same thing. I feel like coding a game like Minecraft isn't something you can brute force, which is something that a lot of the negative responses I've seen don't seem to understand. They say, you know, how could a studio owned by Microsoft not be able to just hire more people and get it done? And it's not like that in the Mojang team, as far as we can tell. Multiple people working on the same lines of code are potentially just going to trip over each other and... You know, things like that, if people aren't working on individual features from start to finish or in a collaborative way that is very tight-knit, you introduce more opportunities for error, and that's why games ship with loads of bugs. 
if the team is smaller and more refined and takes an individual approach to adding features like that, I think that's what you end up with somebody really seeing it through and getting a better product. And I think ultimately trying to avoid negativity of this kind, of the just hire more people, like surely they can just, you know, pull up their bootstraps and get it done, is the kind of factor that leads studios to crunch in the first place. And ultimately that's harmful to the people who make a game that we all love and have a great deal of, like, involvement in as a community and it doesn't contribute anything to a healthy community environment so for my part i've tried to do my best to reason with people who have that kind of perspective if i've seen them pop up in my youtube comments and just say look there are there are real people developing this game and they can't just throw money at the problem until it goes away i'm really glad in the video that agnes mentioned the pandemic i feel like uh, and we don't mention it much on this show either, because a lot of times people are looking to Minecraft or podcasts or things for an escape from all the real world news that can be very stressful. But I think reminding people that this is still happening and it's very real in multiple countries and creating a problem for workplace uh, and and not just the people working at Mojang. Like some of these people have partners, spouse, family members. Some people might have lost jobs. Some family members might have lost lives. You don't know. And, and all of that affects your creative work as an artist that, you know, has struggled through the pandemic to be creative, to be fun, to be funny when things are very stressful. Uh, I understand that it's not just the black and white of like, these are the, you know, the people that are on the Mojang team and this is the task that they have to do. And oh, working from home is making it more difficult. It is astronomically more complicated than that. And I find that not enough times that's considered when people, you know, kind of give feedback. Um, on a positive note, I really enjoyed the, uh, in the announcement video and how they kind of painted the picture of why they're making these changes. Um, Agnes just presents such a really great balance between being a game director, the big boss applesauce, and being a Minecraft player mm -hmm. and wanting her world that's 10 years old to come through this good, <laughs> unharmed, yeah. unscathed. I want this to be a good playing experience for me greedily. <laughs> and hey, I'm in I'm in the driver's seat, you know, for, the, for a simplification. Uh, and we want that experience for everybody. And I just thought it had compassion. It had real uh, relatability to it. And I feel like in addition to the information, they communicated emotionally the reasons why they're doing this, which I thought was poignant. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, though, we have been left with a data pack which can effectively toggle on all of the changes we've seen to caves and cliffs so far in snapshots. So you can load up a world in the new snapshot which has rolled back all of the changes increased you know the 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 bedrock floor is back at y0 there is no higher than 256 none of the new ore distribution is in there you can add a data pack into that world and when you load it up all of the caves below y0 are there again you have all of the changes that they've made thus far and those probably won't be iterated upon until we have the summer update of 117 and then the snapshots are working towards 1.18 but in the meantime Nothing has really been taken from us at this point. And I think that's something important to note here is that if you were having fun in the snapshots and playing around with the cave generation and kind of, you know, terraforming stuff and drafting builds for what you wanted to do in future, you can still do that. 
and you'll be able to do it in the snapshots once they start to focus more on cave generation stuff. If you're a bedrock player, that caves and cliffs toggle still has all of the caves and cliffs features they've added so far in the beta and has now added more. So as far as the bedrock side of things, they're not stopping. Not only that, but in future, those worlds will be upgradable into the final version of the update. So, you know, you've been playing in a 21W15A world with that data pack, and there have been a couple of technical issues with that that I ran into that I think you did a little bit later, where there's some odd kind of chunk lag that I think some people were experiencing in previous snapshots that now seems to be tied in with something that's happening in this data pack. But, um... I think it's nice that they've still given a lot of people the option. And as a quick reminder for Java players, if you have a world in 21W14A and it's not compatible with the new snapshot, even if you add that data pack in, you can still create a profile for that snapshot in the launcher and keep launching that snapshot if you wanted to continue with what you were doing. It just won't have anything added to it until future editions of the snapshots. So they've given us plenty of options, even though a lot of the finished release isn't forecast to be done until winter. I think they've they've given us a lot of ways to still play with the stuff that we've been getting used to already. Yeah, my experience with the data pack and what I would maybe advise people for is if play with it, sure, give feedback, you know, test for bugs, that kind of stuff. I wouldn't treat it as anything you're planning on playing from week to week. Um, I I believe in my snapshot playthrough, I'm going to be starting again uh, this Wednesday with a snapshot world, same seed. So I know kind of where my starting area is and stuff to kind of get myself back on track faster. Uh, but I plan on using a 116 world gen. Uh, I actually had no trouble playing the snapshot while streaming that Wednesday, three hours, three and a half hours. No problem. Uh, it was the next day that I went back in to take screenshots and it was just, I was getting chunk lag but it wasn't when i was crossing chunk borders it was it was every three to six seconds in game it was nearly impossible to play had i been running into skeletons or bad guys i would have been dying uh i was missing jumps i could have easily fallen off something and died and i was just thinking to myself like there's no way i can play like this like i mean the stream would be terrible to view but then also i just would be constantly dying for reasons that are not my fault which is just a, a frustrating game experience um, I don't know whether it was associated with game ticks, whether it was associated with the, you know, changes in Y value. I don't know. Uh, it was really disappointing because I, I did really want to go through and explore that, that week to week. But given that we're not getting the caves and cliffs terrain until hopefully holiday this year, uh, much later this year, I, I think it might be better to play the snapshots without the world gen uh, and experience the new blocks and focus on the new mechanics and the new blocks that you can collect and play with than it would be to explore something that is potentially going to be changing, you know, over and over and over again between now and Christmas. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, as a creator, I've now had to kind of rethink what I plan to do in Minecraft over the next six months uh, because I was assuming, based on the size of the update, it was going to be released in late summer, at the pace the snapshots were going, it kind of seemed like, okay, they're going to have to have a certain amount of time for bug testing and so forth as well. It's not going to arrive until maybe September. And as such, I've been splitting my time between a few different series, working on the museum at a relatively chill pace, not doing a whole lot of off-camera work. And I'm thinking that's going to have to change uh, because now the split gives the, time, the Minecraft team an opportunity to release something in time for the school summer holidays, which means June, not December, or, or, or September, rather. So, like, 
I I kind of feel like I want to finish Survival Guide Season 1, which was always the plan after I finished the museum. It was going to line up with the Caves and Cliffs release. I still want to do that, uh, mostly because I don't want to explore new features like copper and amethyst geodes, raw ores, bundles, and all of the new blocks and stuff while I'm on episode 400 or so of a three-year series. As far as my content strategy, if you want to call it that, goes, I was thinking it was going to be a good idea to start episode one and then have all of this new stuff as well. But then I also don't want to start a new season of Survival Guide before the new caves and mountains and stuff are put in because the world changes coming in part two are going to be so fundamental to early game that the positions of ores are going to completely change and caving is going to be different. And I don't think it makes sense for me to introduce all of that stuff 50 or so episodes into a tutorial series. So my intention right now is to finish Survival Guide Season 1, start a temporary, probably six-month world, and do a mini-series in that, checking out all of the new stuff. Maybe even do a hardcore world or something like that. And then I'm going to delay starting my official sort of Season 2 of Survival Guide until Caves and Cliffs Part 2 in 1.18. So I think the same is probably true for a lot of servers, a lot of other content creators. They've probably had to rethink their plans for how they were going to kind of revitalize their interest in Minecraft if it had dipped off, if they're going to wait until winter now to check out the full update, quote-unquote, or if they're going to dip into some of this newer stuff while it's all fresh and kind of get in at the ground floor on what are you know, what is copper used for, how do we farm that, you know, amethyst geodes, how do we mess with those, get used to some of the other features, and then ore generation completely changes, they can upgrade that world, but if they don't, then they can start a new world and have all of the new caves right there at their feet. How is this going to affect what you do on the Citadel? Have you thought about that yet? Well, I mean, the, the snapshot this summer, or not snapshot, the release this summer is not going to affect world gen, so that doesn't affect any exploration, uh, anything like that. Usually as uh, time leads up to the release of a new uh, update that might affect the things that we need to collect and generate in the world. We kind of have a discussion amongst ourselves. There's only about a half dozen active players on the server. And we say, hey, look, just for the next, say, two months, let's not fly a thousands and thousands of blocks in any one direction and build something way off because it's just going to create a farther distance to go for players to find the new stuff. Um, with the nether, we did the same sort of thing. Now, our nether was pretty tight to begin with, so we really didn't have too much of a problem. Um, I'm the one that does the chunk trimming for things like that. So uh, I tend to keep it to the continents. So I say like, hey, look, if you're on the continent, fine. Because when I trim the chunks, I tend to go along the oceans. And that way you have like a, a nice separation and you run into less of a risk of like chunk borders and, and things like that. Um, as far as just like my own content, I'm not, I'm barely even using stuff from 116. In, mm -hmm. in my builds right now and the project that I have with the um the medieval town does I mean every once in a while I try to grab some basalt or something but like it's not a, a key piece of the build so I don't think it's going to affect my content so much uh with the exception of like I said wanting to do a snapshot single player world every week and that's more for homework for this show than it is kind of wanting to just go off and play on my own because I don't really want to divide my time between two major projects. Like I really enjoy the Citadel and I like having the time to put a lot of time into it. Um, but like on the Citadel, I, I mean, as far as the other players are concerned, like I, again, there's not a 
huge amount of technical players. I guess Alistair and I are probably the two most Redstone savvy, but I feel like everybody will probably just roll with the punches. Um, I think the only thing that's, we'll say disappointing, is the plans that I had for utilizing mountains and deep caves is now pushed much farther down the line. Yeah, and I think that's just naturally going to be the case for for everybody at this point. But that's that's the way it is. And I think it's going to maybe push back people's excitement for the next update. So I don't know if people are going to be as excited about 117, but I think with all of the stuff coming in 118, it's still going to give the game a new lease of life in the way that the full update, had it been released as one entity, would have. I do think this is going to be ultimately the next update aquatic and it's because of how iconic some of these features are. Like I said earlier, we talk about, you know, the deeper caves and taller mountains and stuff. Visually, that stuff sticks in the mind as such a vivid change from what we're used to in Minecraft. Even just looking through it in the snapshots now, I'm still in awe of some of the stuff that they've added. Looking at the RTX screenshots earlier, I've, I'm still fascinated by how everything looks in that different environment. So I think even if it does mean delaying people's interest by six months or so, 118 is going to be a heck of an update. 117 is going to add a lot of stuff that people are excited to dive into. And I think it just makes sense for everybody to adapt to a change. I mean, it's kind of what we're used to playing this game. We adapt to the changes as they come up. That is where we're going to leave it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Uh, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. Of course, all of the announcements and blog posts and stuff can be found through minecraft.net as well. Uh, the music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. We've obviously been having a behind-the-scenes kind of back and forth about what this means, not just for our community, but for the Minecraft community in general. And if you're interested in participating in that discussion, putting some value back into the show that you listen to every week, you can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. As little as $1 per episode, which amounts to 4 or $5 per month, depending on how many Mondays there are in any given month, that that gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. There are higher tiers of rewards if you feel like committing a little bit more and getting access to a little bit extra. It also gets us closer to our next milestone goals, which is having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our listeners in Discord where people can just hang out and let us know what they've been up to in Minecraft that week. We've crossed another milestone of our own. We are at 250 patrons, which is another increase from last week. Thank you so much to everybody who's hopped on board lately. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Pattern82, Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. 250 patrons. Wow. Spreading the word and sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance, tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. Where is that? That's at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast, we hang our podcast hat. You can email the show once again at spunchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spunchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is linked on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorif, so you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide, focusing a lot on the museum lately. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, are at joelduggan.com, including a link to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, which is about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. I just recently recorded episode 400 of that show with my friend Lou, the longest-running co-host on the show, and we had an absolute blast. So check that out at thecitadelcafe.com. Both 399 and 400 will be publishing this week. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm building a medieval town in Minecraft and building a medieval town in Minecraft and building a medieval town in Minecraft. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Beans!